Fathers, we come with humble hearts this morning ready to readily receive your word, the word of truth, Father, and we pray that we will learn many things and part of what we learn is our care for others and um, we pray for those who are being affected by the hurricanes. Um, It's relentless, Father. It seems like a couple of them's already coming through and some more is forming, so we know everything's in your divine plan somehow and we just pray father that we will understand pray that you'll be with those who are affected by it it's going to be a long process and father today as we break open your word of life we pray father that we will be nourished greatly we pray that you will bless it upon us that our minds and our eyes and our ears will be open and that we will receive it and gain many blessings and father thank you for your son and it's in his name we pray Amen. Acts 17, if you've got your sword and would like to turn there. You know, in Acts 17, we're going to talk about a city that was really kind of a sinful city. Um, America has a city that is kind of that way. Its nickname, I think, was Sin City. You know what that is? Las Las Vegas, Nevada. Unfortunately, my favorite team, the Raiders, seem to be wanting to make a home there. Um, But it got a motto in Vegas, don't they? You know what that motto is? Yeah. Yeah, what happens there stays there. That's the way Athens was. We're going to take a look today at Athens, Greece in Acts 17. Athens was kind of that way. Paul is about to arrive He's going to arrive in a city that's all about self, about self-indulgence, self-pleasures. It's about anything but the God of heaven. That was kind of one of the mottos that they had too that we're going to find out here in a little bit. There's, just like Vegas, there's no pretense of what they're about. It's about pleasure and profit. It's not about cleanliness and righteousness is next to godliness, huh? So, as Paul gets ready to arrive, I want to give a little history about what he was walking into 2,000 years ago whenever he was setting foot there. So, if you're there with me, in Acts 17, let's begin our reading of God's Word in verse 16 where it says, That now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was completely given over to idols. And therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentiles, the worshipers there. And then he went to the marketplace daily. He talked with them and anyone who happened to come his way. Certain of those people who were Epicurean and Stoics, the philosophers of the day, the two big groups, they encountered him. Some said, what does this babbler have to say others said he seems to be a proclaimer of some type of foreign gods because he preached Jesus and the resurrection and they took him and they brought him to a place that's called the Areopagos saying may we know what this doctrine is of which you are speaking for you are bringing some strange things to our ears Paul therefore we want to know what these things mean that you're saying For all of the Athenians and the foreigners who were there, they spent their time in nothing else 
but to tell stories and to learn things and to swap these tales back and forth. That's what they lived for. They wanted to hear some new thing. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagos and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are way too religious. Because as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship that I see all around, I even found an altar that had this inscription upon it, to an unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I am going to proclaim to you. He is the God who made this world and everything that is in it. And since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples that are made with hands like what you have here. Nor is he worshipped with man's hands and made as in the form of an idol. He doesn't need anything from you since he's the one who gives to you life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood all of the nations of the world that dwell upon the face of the earth. He himself has pre-appointed the times and the seasons and the boundaries of all of your dwellings. As though, and the reason is, is so that they would seek God in the hope that they might grope for him and find him. Though in reality he is not very far from any one of you. For in him we live and we move and we have our very being. This is something then, as your poets have taught, that we are also his offspring. So, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature of God is like anything that is marveled after stone, gold, or silver, or such thing by man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance has God overlooked. But now, he, he is asking all men, he commands that you repent. Because he has appointed a day in the which that he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And he has given assurance to us that this is going to happen because he raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, we're going to hear some more of this matter from you. But Paul departed from among them. And you know what? There was a few who it says, who came and believed and joined him. And among them was a man named Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman who was named Damaris and others with them. This section of scripture, may the Lord bless the reading of his word today. May we see this cool snapshot of just a small section of Paul's life as he went about preaching the word of God. Now, it says in verse 16, while Paul waited for them in Athens. What's Paul waiting for? Who and why? What's, What's going on here? Well, if we back up a little bit, if you go to the top of the chapter of chapter 17... Paul is in the middle of his second missionary journey, and you see from the map of his journey up there that up towards the top there's Apollonia and there's uh, Amphipolis. So he moved from those two cities and then he came down to Thessalonica. 
And in Thessalonica, there was great resistance to his teaching. He reasoned with them for three different Sabbath days how that the Christ had to suffer and to bear all of these things out. And they did not want to hear that. There was a few of the Gentiles and there was a few of them that believed. But oh, those Jewish dyed in the wool traditionalists, they said, oh no. We cannot have this man teaching these sort of things. And so they became envious. You know, that's where most of our outwardly expressions of things start as inwardly. And in their mind, they became envious of Paul and that his word was starting to convert some people. So, we are encouraged in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 to cast down everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and to, to bring every one of our thoughts into captivity to the obedience for Christ. Don't allow those thoughts Thoughts to become like these guys did and become envious and then to try to force Paul out of the way. These Thessalonian Jews were jealous. They went to the marketplace, it says, and they found some evil men there hanging around the marketplace. And then they told them things and they gave them things and stirred them up against the people. So they took all of these people around the marketplace and said, let's make an uprising so that they will go against Paul and we'll get him arrested. And they did just that. And so then it says, these men in verse 6 of Acts 17 have turned the world upside down. They dragged Paul before the rulership and and. That's what they wanted to do, but they didn't find Paul there. They went to the house that he was staying in, and that person, Jason, was there, but Paul was not there. And they grabbed him, and they pulled him out and drug him up there. And you know what they did? They fined him really big. So what they did was move Paul out. They said, your life is in danger. You've got to go. So they took him out, and they took him and went on down to Berea. And as he gets down to Berea, it says that... Uh, he was preaching the word, and these people were more noble than those who were in Thessalonica because they searched the Scriptures daily to see the things that he had taught them down in verse 11 if you're following along. And I encourage all of you to do that as well. As the word is being taught, there are those who think that this was kind of a negative connotation, that the Bereans searched the Scriptures daily of what was taught so that they might find a mistake or trip him up. But no, the construct of this is that they were so enthused by the gospel message that they had received, and they were exhilarated that they could be a part of the body of Christ and have a resurrection in heaven, that they wanted to see for themselves that those things were true. So they were so excited, they searched the scriptures every day, learning of these wondrous things that Paul was telling them, and it so pumped them up. And that's what I encourage you, to be a Berean, to go every day of the things that we learn and the things that we talk about, and you see for yourself the marvelous things that God has done for you and has prepared for us for all of eternity. So again, though, trouble raises its ugly head. Those people in Thessalonica, those Jews that had a heart that was hardened 
and mischievous. They heard now that Paul had went down here to Berea and was teaching. So they follow down. They go chasing after him to try to stop this teaching, even in a different neighboring city. And they go and they follow him down there. And the brethren at Berea were so excited by what they had heard, they formed a personal escort with Paul. And they took him out again by night. And they got on the ship with him. And they set sail and came down to Athens. And as they arose in Athens... Paul told him, this is where I'm going to stay for a little bit. You guys go back and you tell the two that was with me there that stayed back there to come and make all speed to be right here with me and I will wait for them. And that's why then as we get to verse 16, it says that while Paul was waiting for them, all of this has just happened, all of this persecution and all of this chasing him. And now he arrives in Athens for a little breather and he starts to walk around and he looks And it says that his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Let me tell you a little bit about Athens. I was studying this this week and it's amazing. You know, it says they were completely given over to idols. There was, over history records, 30,000 idols in that city. 30,000. It was so filled up with other types of worship that there was no room for the God of heaven. It was filled up with all these idols. Then it says, I googled my old pal Google. I said, tell me, how many gods was there? If there was this many idols, how many gods did that represent? Pulled up a list and there was 57 that I counted. There was a group of 12 major ones, but there was 57 other ones that was gods and goddesses that they had. And my thought was, how appropriate. Because if you don't know the true God of heaven, then what you have is a Heinz 57 mixture of a bunch of nothingness, right? You don't have the true God, you've got just a mixture. But they had this one huge altar that was called the altar of the 12 gods. Uh, It represented their 12 major gods of the Greek pantheon. Zeus was the major god that they worshipped. He was of the sky and the thunder, and he had a wife named Hera. But then there was Poseidon, who we've heard of. There's movies made about that with that title. But he was the god of the sea, the god of thunder, the god of earthquakes and waters. Uh, Zeus was thunder. Poseidon is waters, earthquake, and sea. Demeter, the goddess of the harvest, was one of the twelve. Apollo, Artemis, Hephaestus, Athena, Ares, Aphrodite, Hermes, Dionysus. These was the twelve. The slide here shows one of the carved altar tops that we have of those twelve. That was the twelve major ones. And the, the scene before was the depiction of what that altar area looked like that surrounded it and here was one of the altar tops that their sacrifices were given on instead of the one true god they had all kinds of gods and it was on top of the acropolis of what it was called in athens and as paul arrived there and he's seeing all of these things and he sees this acropolis which means the top of the hill they had a main temple there Here is a modern day look at the Acropolis. This is what Paul arrived to see. You can see 
the city as it stands today down below that hilltop. You can see in the foreground to the left the temple of Zeus with its pillars. We'll see that a little bit closer in a minute. But in the background is the Acropolis, the city on the hill. These things have stood for 2,500 years. It was marvelous when Paul arrived and he is seeing all of these things. Here's another view of the Acropolis of what it looks like today. These temples, these buildings, everything about their lifestyle was dedicated to everything else but the God of heaven. This is an up-close picture where you get to see the immenseness of this building. Look at that. They're trying to put part of it back together from the original ruins and rubbles, but just take a look at how much work. There wasn't any power tools. If you've been in construction, there's no power tools here. This is all hand labor to be able to do these type of things. Now I want you to see what a city on the hilltop at night looks like. Oh, is that gorgeous? Now you know what Jesus said, that a true city on the hill, you shouldn't hide it under a bushel, but the light should shine out to everyone. They should have been a light for Christ, but they were a light for the darkness in the world. But that hill, the city on the hill was so awesome. Next, Paul had to go to where the people were. He wanted to teach the gospel to him. He was so moved. So on the next slide, we see that he went to the amphitheater that's on top of this Acropolis as well. It's called the Odeon of Herodes Atticus. And this is where their theater, their plays, their debates, everything that happened around like that, where the crowd gathered together. This is 2,500 years old, the workmanship, the marvel of it that they were motivated to do. There was no electronic amplifiers. They built this and carved it in the side of the hill so that the acoustics were perfect to where the people who were down on the stage, if you were on the top row, you could hear. Marvelous engineering and acoustic work that went on. You could hear it. This city is beautiful beyond compare when he arrives, isn't it? The next slide shows the remains of that temple of Zeus that we was talking about a minute ago. And you can see the Acropolis there in the background with it. These pillars that rise up. How did they do that without a crane? How did they do that with hand labor? I'm going to zoom in now on the top of those pillars you'll see the detail work that went into sculpturing the top of the pillars even as it went on. This particular structure is smaller than all of those, and yet it took 600 years to build. It started in the middle 500s B.C. and went all the way to 131 A.D. before it was totally completed. That's how long it took them to do with hand labor of what was going on. It stood from the base for 2,500 years. The next slide is a close-up of a place called the Erectarian. It's the temple that was dedicated to Athena and Poseidon. And I just showed a portion of it because I wanted you to see the sculpture work of the porch, the portico there. It shows how they made all of those uh, pillars now carved into people, some of their gods and goddesses. This is how they did it. 
we could spend hours and hours going on about the other places there. This is only a small sampling of what was going on in this city. You had the House of Winds. It was a roundhouse that was there. You had the Temple of Hera. You had a place called the Bulatron. That's where the council would sit. Those seats are carved into the hillside again. Uh, you had other places, the Agora, which was the marketplace. You remember we talked about every city had their marketplace. That's where in Thessalonica the Jews rounded up the people to come up against Paul and they went to the house of Jason. So it's where everything was bought and sold and the people gave their wares and the musicians played and magicians and it was just a festival of activity in the marketplace every day. They had miles and miles of streets lined up leading into it. But I saved the one for last that I particularly like. It's called the Panathenaic Stadium in Athens. That's where their athletic contests were held. Athletic contests, this is where the Olympic Games started in Greece. Athletics, Olympic Games was all of the rage. People would train year-round for this in these places. This photo is from uh, 1896 from the Olympic Games. It was built over 2,000 years before this, and they just remodeled a little bit and sanded it down for the Olympic Games in 1896. They have held three Olympic Games in this stadium. The most recent is what it looks like today when the 2004 Olympics was there. Take a look at that. That structure has been there since before A.D. 2,000 years. They just recover the marble that is there with it. When Paul walked in, these is the type of things that he saw and all the marvel. It was the marvel of the world. You know... Athens is proudly called the eye of Greece and the mother of all of their arts and all of their philosophies. The paintings, the the buildings, the sculptures, everything about it was caught up in beauty, but it was all caught up according to their false religion. They did not know the true God. Now we can understand after seeing these slides why a guy by the name of Pausanias who was just there after the Apostle Paul, he wrote six volumes of books describing the beauty of this place. I think we can see why. But you know what Paul thought about all this when he arrived? Look at your Bibles again if you still have Acts 17 there. In verse 16, While Paul was waiting, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that they were totally given over to idols. What motivated other people to say, this is my vacation place. I can't wait to go there and satisfy self. Volumes of books written about its beauty. When the man of God arrives, he looks and he sees all of it and he says, my spirit is provoked. It hurts. The word for provoked there means it's a word that's called paraoxenu. And it means to take like an ice pick or a sharp pointed knife and a jab, jab, jab. 
until you become so hurt and irritated by something, it makes you, provokes you into doing something about it. You know, they say, don't poke a bear in a cage. It comes from this idea. It's like somebody just stabbing you continuously with something and inflicting pain, and finally you just give it all up and say, I'm doing something about it, whatever it takes. Paul looks around, and he doesn't see beauty. He doesn't see marvelous stuff. He sees lost souls. He sees something that was given wholly over to idolatry, and there was no room for God. So he does something about it. He starts evangelism. You know what? In the churches of America today across the America, you know what the idea of evangelism is? Oh, we get an idea and then we say, let's hold a meeting. Let's get a meeting together and, and let's talk about what we should do, what we should be doing. You know what Paul's idea of evangelism was? I'm going to go out to where the people are. Look at verse 18. Verse 17, he began reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the Gentile worshipers and to go to the marketplace every single day to discuss Jesus Christ, as it says there, with all those who happened to be there. And that word means every single person that was in his vicinity. He would go out and wherever it was, he went to those people. He didn't sit around and call a meeting wait on something to happen. He went to the worship places. He went to the marketplaces. Wherever the people was, he went out every day to talk about Jesus Christ and Him crucified to them so that he might begin to turn this city upside down like he had been doing in every other one. He got there and look in verse 18 now. As he was teaching... The Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers encountered him. And you know what they said? What does this babbler want to say? (laughs) That's pretty funny, isn't it? Because there's your word. It's not really babbler. It means seed picker. What does this seed picker want to say here in our city? And here's the idea. This was the most educated philosophical place that there was you had the epicureans you had the stoics you had people who lived for nothing but to find something new to tell the stories and to do these things and they see paul he didn't go to my school he's a seed picker that word started out to mean a little gutter sparrow it was a little sparrow a bird that is meaningless and worthless it's not a bird of prey like an eagle It's a sparrow, and a sparrow would go around picking up seeds and trash and different things, and then it would flit away and go to another place. And so it came to mean when you called somebody a seed picker, you was like a little worthless sparrow who would go around the marketplace of the Agora there and listen and find a little bit of knowledge here and listen and find a little bit of something there. And you just started repeating things and putting a whole glob of things together in one. And that made you a seed picker. And these guys looked down upon him and said, What does this seed picker want to say to us? So now, get this. Others said, if you're looking there, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. Notice how that's in the plural. 
God's. Because he taught, it says, of Jesus and the resurrection. The word for resurrection is Anastasia. There was a movie, I think, made about that. It's a feminine name. So whenever they said Jesus and the Anastasia, they thought it was like Zeus and Hera. They thought it was Jesus died and resurrected into the form of a woman. So they thought it was a different gods here. So let's add these new gods. They thought it was something new. What did they? What was these people known for? Nothing but to find something new. So they said, we want to hear of this. We want to hear about these new gods. We've got 57. Why not have 58, 59? Woo! Let's throw a party. It's something else to party about. Let's put them all together here. And so they grab a hold of Paul. And they take him, verse 19 says, to the Areopagus. That's the supreme court of Athens. Now these are the exact steps that lead up to the Areopagus that Paul was dragged to. They led him up this court. This is where the supreme rulers was going to listen to what Paul had to say. You know why? Because their job was to keep this pantheon of gods happy. Because if the gods weren't happy, then they wouldn't be blessed. They would be cursed. There would be bad things that happened. So they constantly tried to satisfy those gods. And they didn't want a foreign god if it was going to interfere with their happiness. So now Paul has to go up and explain himself to this. Ario is the word for Ares or Mars. And Pagus means a rocky hill. So this is Mars Hill. This is the hill of Mars. This is where the Supreme Court sat. And this is how the top of it looks today. Take a look at that. That's the top of the hill. It was an open air court that they dragged him up to. And he got to the top of the court. And in verse 20 it says, They looked at Paul and said, Son... You're bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know exactly what you're talking about. We need to hear more of this. Actually, the Holy Spirit used the word dynamite here when it says, we desire, we want to. It's, we have the power as the court to ask you what you are teaching and what you are doing. And... Now that the little parentheses is put in there because they love to hear about all of these new things and talk about it. So Paul stands up in the midst of the court and he gives one of the greatest sermons outside of our Lord that's recorded in the scripture. And he begins saying, Ye men of Athens, I perceive in all things as I've walked through here that you are very religious. I saw that you had an altar that was dedicated to an unknown God. That is why I am here now. I am here to tell you about the one true God that you knew had to be around, but you couldn't put your finger on Him. You didn't know exactly who He was, but it is this God that I am declaring to you today. He made the world. He made everything that was in this world. He is the God who is not made with human hands. He's not formed by anything. He doesn't reside in a temple in the picture of a stone. He is a spirit. 
And he is alive. And he gives life and breath to each and every one of you. He is so powerful that he has put kingdoms in place and borders and boundaries. And he even knows how long a kingdom is going to stand, how long it's going to be powerful, and when he is going to bring it down. He knows all of these. He doesn't need you, but he does these things so that you will grope, that you will find him. That groping means to seek in the darkness for something that you can't find. You've been living in the dark. Now, though, you have found, I am presenting him to you because God is not far from any of us. In him, we live and move and have our being. So he is not far from you. He is readily available. And even one of your own poets said that we are his offspring. So why are you serving these other gods when the true God that even your poets tried to refer to says that we are his offspring? And I know that you didn't know about this before, that you were groping for this, that's why you put this altar up, but I am telling you about him today. And I'm going to tell you because God has appointed through this man, his son Jesus Christ, an appointed day in which he will judge the world according to his standard of righteousness, not what your philosophy says. He will judge it, And I am preaching him to you, Jesus Christ, and him crucified. And you know how you can be assured that this fact is true? Because God has resurrected him from the dead. And that is the message to all of us as well, folks. The same message applies and the same message that we could give to everyone that is around our community and in our areas as well. Whoever comes across our path, like Paul said, If they come across my path, then I am going to tell them about the King of kings and the Lord of lords who has one day been given the appointed time to place judgment upon this world. Now you see the Epicureans here that we mentioned a while ago. They had a motto as we get ready to close and go to the next slide. They had a motto like... Vegas did. You've heard it. Their model was, let's eat, drink, and be merry. Because there's nothing after this life. Paul was completely turning their world upside down. There is something after this life. And he resurrected his son to pave the way for what's after this life. And one day, we're all going to stand before that. And as our worship team heads on back up, Paul's message to the eat, drink, and be merry crowd was that even though you had 57 gods, you didn't know the true God. You didn't know the God of heaven who has made everything and he gave you life. But now you have a choice because I've presented you with the message. So now you have a choice to stay in what you are or to repent, which means to change your mind and realize that there is one true God. And that man is Jesus Christ that we worship. It says that he has an appointed day. And that, means, that word means to set in place. Folks, it's been set in place. It's on God's calendar. When that day arrives, there's no stopping it. It will happen. It's on the calendar. It's set in place. And it's not going to change. And it says in verse 
32 there, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, that some mocked him. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we had the parable of the soils. That's your wayside soil. Hard heart. They mocked him. Others said, we will hear of this again. That's a procrastinator. That's weedy and rocky soil. You don't have any depth. You don't have any knowledge you're seeking, but you don't really want to grow in that. That's the other two type of soils. Felix, in Acts 24, was told this, and he told Paul as he procrastinated, go away. Maybe one day, when I have a more convenient season, I will listen to what you have to say. The Word of God does not say that he ever found that more convenient day. It doesn't tell us that. But then it says others went with him. They stuck like glue, the Word says. They heard the Word, they believed, and they stuck to Paul. They stuck to the message like glue. So he departed from there. And it says a man by the name of Dionysus the Areopagite. Dionysus was their god of unrestrained pleasure and drunkenness. So he was named after that kind of god. And it says he was the Areopagite. You know what that means? The hill, Mars Hill, the Areopagite. He was one of the main judges up there. So Paul was presented before him for such a time as that, that a main judge who was named after the the god of consumption would hear and believe the word. And also Damaris, whose name means gentle of spirit. She followed along. And the same choice as ours today. And the same decisions to be made. Will we mock the word of God? Will we say, I'm a little interested, but I'm going to put it off? Or will you make the decision to stick like glue to the word and follow after Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, we see two extremes, and it seems like Jesus always brings extremes. You have all of Athens in its splendor on one hand, but Paul sees nothing but no God here. He sees lost souls. And that's really what the gospel's about, is to take those out of darkness and place them into light, Father. And we pray that whoever hears the message of your word will not fall into the first couple of categories, but that they will desire your Son and to stick to you like glue through this life for the hope of what lies ahead. And we pray your blessings upon this, Father, as this word goes out in Jesus' name. Amen.